Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Here comes the conclusion to episode 61, featuring the second part of the discussion between Graham McMillan and myself regarding Marvel's business practices, why Ed Brubaker's Fatale might have ended up over an image, and the secret of Mark Miller's success. Plus, we finally answer readers' questions from Twitter, and a select few from the Savage Critic with answers covering topics such as Wolverine and the X-Men number one, Shonen Jump Alpha, the revival of Rob Liefeld's Awesome Studios, X-Factor, and much more. Finally, we announce the winners of our second contest. That's right more than one of them we hope you enjoy and as always thanks for listening getting back to comics slightly <laughs> no 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 seriously um okay am i the only person who's really disturbed that essentially all the marvel layoff stuff has disappeared so quickly like that, yeah. that happened a week ago and no one's talking about it anymore oh i know i it, it it actually does disturb me i'm actually disturbed by the number of people i saw on twitter who were talking about it elliptically even after it happened like, there were a number of people I saw who were like, man, comics are really depressing this week, you know? And I'm like, I assume that you mean because of this, you know what I mean? Like, there were a lot of people who were being, for various reasons, I'm sure it was just like they didn't even want to think about it. But I don't I don't think people really, it's a very uncomfortable situation. Because, again, you get into those situations of, like, me being all mouthy and being like, you know, again, you're like you 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 go quickly down this path of like, why am I supporting these people? Should I stop supporting these people? Is it actually better to keep supporting them? Then you know what I mean. Like, but that, that, yeah, that's just it. Like, I I am honestly in the I don't know if it's better to stop or not because right because people can lose their jobs and I I I, I always get stuck in this. Is it better to have a shitty job than have no right. job? Right. Right. And I I don't have an answer to that because a shitty job is a shitty job, but you still have the ability to buy food. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But no, but I don't. But see, but this is my thing. I mean, this is I, I totally agree with you. And yet at the same time, there's there are levels at which I'm like until until you can't. You know what I mean? Like until you are working worked so hard that you know, like the the reports coming out of the iPhone manufacturing companies that people's hands are permanently deformed, you know, because they were worked so hard. It was at that point, it's just like I can't, you know, and it's clearly it's not that level at Marvel, but it's getting close, you know. And I do feel bad, but those people weren't laid off because sales were horrible sales were fine they just weren't like at this level that they needed them to be yeah it's it's kind of the bell tightening is kind of crazy mm-hmm. um and also i wonder i wonder outside of dc's sales success in september what mm-hmm. has happened to make it that way so quickly because marvel's it wasn't like marvel have all of a sudden become less profitable no, that's the thing but, that's crazy. But also, you look at things like Alpha Flight being cancelled mm-hmm. with issue 8. Unless its orders completely tanked, mm-hmm. then the same... I mean, because it's essentially sold within like a thousand copies of itself for the last four months, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the same number of orders that were enough to make something an ongoing book two months ago are now enough to get a book cancelled. Right, which is just like is that belt tightening is that some other politics going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, I don't know 
No, I mean, I think it, it's see my 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 theory is is that Marvel had always been addicted to the number one relaunch. You know, it's like. Okay, this doesn't work. We'll we'll relaunch it again. We'll relaunch it again. We'll relaunch it again. And now I just kind of feel like Marvel's like, you know what? If we get this many sales, if basically if we turn everything into a five issue limited series without saying it, and if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't perform past a certain point, we just we can't we just tank that book and we launch a new number one that will sell as many as blank. So that could be it. It could just be that thing of like, to me, there's such an element of gambling in it of like okay these chips are not you know red 31 which is alpha flight is not coming in like it's all it's like i'm getting this much money but i'm i need to move those chips over and try black 23 in the hopes that black 23 if nothing else it'll pay me exactly the same payout as alpha flight and maybe it will actually be better maybe it'll actually go up you know I think I I honestly think that that's what Marvel's doing is is they're not going to suddenly go from cranking out a hundred titles a month to you know or seventy eight titles a month down to thirty five you know I think they're still going to keep cranking them out. Oh, I think they're, they're just going to be like, yeah, exactly. But it's going to be one of those situations of like uh, all Winter Squad is not you know producing the numbers that we need. What was it selling at? The fact that they actually canceled it in mid-storyline. Uh, it it really was selling at 12,000. Wow. Okay, that's But here's the thing. Usually... But stuff is stuff is below that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like almost all their licensed books are below that. Casanova's below that. Sure. Well, Casanova's of course I would think a special exception in a way. Yeah, but I w- but... I wonder how long those special exceptions are going to exist. Yeah. All the cross-gen books have sold below that. Yeah, and I think all the cross-gen stuff is probably going to go away. Yeah, I, I, I wonder I wonder if we're heading for a Marvel is publishing 100 to 120 titles a month, and they're all just the franchises. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, 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 I think we are. I think this time mm-hmm. next year. I think Marvel's mm-hmm. going to be publishing more books, and I think the books are going to be the franchises. And I think yeah. you get to something like um, Bendis writing three ongoing Avengers books. Right, and I think that's a vision of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we're going to see, you know, one writer publishing, writing multiple versions of the same book. Sure. Well, you've got you've got that with Brubaker and Captain America too at the moment, right? I mean, he's only at two, but well, you can't. I mean, surely you can't have more than two Captain America books. In, well, I, I think in all seriousness, very... I can't imagine a third Captain America book. I know, true. I know. They could do a Winter Soldier book. Well, exactly. So, and then you've got your third title. So you you've got Captain America contemporaneous Bucky you know Winter Soldier contemporaneous and then you've got Captain America and Bucky yeah I, it's possible and and like you said they're probably going to go that route which is it's really terrifying because because uh, I just don't I don't know I mean again I just don't think that that's I mean I think I probably would still be buying Bendis titles if he hadn't gotten to whatever stage he gotten at you know okay one last question on this and then we'll move on to happier topics for for our listeners sorry listeners um sorry listeners i really bumped this all out there so who do you think is going to be the first type profile creator to a get affected by this and b do something about it Mm, by okay what do you say when i I say get affected by this i mean who do you think is going to be the first type profile creator who will probably have to face a pay cut who will be asked to take B-level pricing? Oh, that's a really good question. 
That is a really good question. I think it's going to be like dudes. Well, okay. I think it's going to be Rube Baker. <laughs> that's funny. I don't I, think so. Really? I don't think. I don't think any of the architects. The architects will be the absolute last ones to see any of this. Oh, I, I, like, I think. Yeah. Okay. I was actually meaning of the architects. I was meaning of that. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I was like Frank Thierry, Victor Gishler. Like, there's a whole. Oh God, yes. Level that, of guys. Yes, that level are, yeah. are going. Oh, talking about that. Um, Alpha Flight is selling above Thunderbolts. Wow. And it got cancelled. Ooh. Yeah, yeah that's, see, that's so, what I mean. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. so that level, like Jeff Parker, and this is, again, why I have issues with boycotting things. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to boycott a book that's going to get a friend's, like, a friend's book cancelled and he'll be out of a job. Sure. Yeah, no, I, t- I get it, but I'm also kind of like... Like, I get your point. I'm just not mm-hmm. sure if that's the right protest, I guess. Yeah, I but see, but I, I, don't know what right I disagree. I mean, yeah, 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 no, I know, exactly. And I'm sure, you know, as you know with your magic behind the scenes, Paul, I'm sure a lot of these guys are scrambling, trying to find other work. And I mean, it was one of the things that drove me nuts when people were like saying like about the Marvel people who were laid off, staffers who were laid off is like, I hope they land on their feet with like good, you know, with good work soon. And I'm like, how they're getting laid off by Marvel you know what I mean like Marvel is like it's 40% of the market when you get cut from there nobody swoops in to pick you up unless they're canning their own people you know what I mean like it's not a situation oh no honestly I could see other publishers going for like uh, a a Jody Hatlip or something Uh, just just for the name cachet of this is the guy who did Strange Tales I I can see that when you're talking about the production stuff I completely agree yeah yeah, yeah. So that's kind of my thing. Is, is like I just I can't even imagine for for I mean, and there are some of them. They're, they're you know so legendary that there's a chance they'll they'll pop up or end up at somewhere else. But a lot of them, I'm just like, no. When you're getting, it's one thing when the bottom half of the market contracts and people try and like fight their way up into the big insulated guys. But when forty percent of your market decides to contract, you know, just because they're not making enough money and they can do. They figure they can make more money by cutting back on their resources. Anyway, so um, so I think it will be a, a an insanely long time before those architects get hit, um, because even you know even back in two thousand two thousand one in the days of New Marvel, you had the name talent that they were doing to attract people, but guys who were writing other lesser titles. We're getting paid shit. So, like, you saw people like Ennis or Morrison or Miller were getting paid pretty good money by Marvel, but you had guys who were like, I don't know, uh, you know, Jed Winnick on Exiles was probably not making great money, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, so I think we're probably going to see that. That being said, there are dudes that I think have, I'm not sure that they are is fully in this. Part of me is just like, you know what? I kind of would be surprised if Jonathan Hickman's still at Marvel five or six years from now. You know, he might be because they seem to be blank checking a lot of the stuff that he's doing. But I kind of get the sense of he wants, he has been, he's continued to brand, keep doing stuff through like Red Wing through Image. And I think he will continue to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I'd say I, I wouldn't have expected Hickman to be at Marvel five or six years from now anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. So part of me is like maybe I, everyone I was, feeling that. I was way. fascinated by Brubaker taking Fatality Image, mm-hmm. and also kind of curious how much of that has to do with Criminal being made into a movie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I wonder if Marvel's the icon deal like screws you in media rights. <laughs> I sort of got the idea that it didn't that it was super 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 hands off. Yeah, I, I have no idea, but just for some reason I put the two things together, and that, that you know there is absolutely I have no insider knowledge to suggest right, there right. is a link, but that's yes, that's just where my mind went. My mind. No, 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 no. It is very I, odd. I wonder, especially after I wonder why. Like I wonder why it's not an icon, especially after Criminal, especially after Incognito. Like I wonder. I have icon to image. I have a theory. My and my theory is is that. Um, I've seen Brubaker complain on Twitter about the fact having frustration getting criminal onto Comixology fast enough. Like he, I think there's too many layers there. I think if the trade paperback policy that Marvel has applies to the icon imprints, it could be harder to keep your like because Brubaker writes his stuff for the trade and it's where he sees the money. You know, where he literally sees the money, you know, in many white cases, because, you know, most of the wage goes to Sean Phillips for his page rate for the for the floppies, I think. So I think the idea of taking something like that to image, because the idea is you want to be able to make sure that you can print enough of your trade paperbacks and keep them in print. Yeah, I also you've got to remember that Brubaker has at least for the last few rounds of solicits, uh, always for some reason being left off the initial solicits from Marvel. Wow. Okay. See, <laughs> like, right. like uh, weirdly, but yeah, there's there's been like at least two or three months where that's happened. Yeah. And he's had to essentially tweet out everyone who received the solicits early, please add this to it because Marvel did left it off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what's going on there, but I have a sneaking suspicion that... I, to me, those those factors, because I think actually part of the problem is, is you know, is I, I had assumed that part, people were a little worried about Image that because Image was actually more interested in getting a piece of the media rights now than they used to be, you know. And who knows? Maybe maybe it was the same thing with Icon, but um, it was an interesting sort of thing. And I think, you know, in theory, I'm surprised that more people didn't learn from... Miller in the sense of Miller is like he's able to do something like Kickass and sell 50,000 copies. Admittedly, he's will, he's able to do that because he he panders hugely, but you know, he's worked really hard. He's after a certain point he spent a lot more time putting um his effort into stuff that he could sell and develop to Hollywood directly rather than doing stuff that he Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to think that Mark Miller is going to end up being the one who did it right. Yeah, I know. So, but I mean, think about it. He's essentially left work for her comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On, and, on his own terms. And really. taken his audience with him for the most part. Yeah. Well, and that's what everyone needs to figure out how to do. I mean, that is... The well, thing. part of it is Miller's creator-owned work pretty much is Marvel work with the... the well, actually, it's really DC work with the, the numbers filed mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Superior, yeah. Well, Superior's Captain yeah. Marvel, uh, Nemesis mm-hmm. and Batman. You know that um, even Wanted was Secret Society of Supervillains, right? But yeah, still, there, I'm sure there is there are lessons to be learned from how do you how do you at least have enough of your audience follow you? Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, because this is the thing that I think is driving them all crazy is, you know, um, even Bendis, who sells, you know, books in the 60 to 120,000 range now, can still only move, what, 18,000 copies of of Powers? It's probably lower because the publication schedule's been for shit. But when it was coming out really regularly and Avengers was at its hottest, there wasn't a lot of crossover, you know? The fact that Brubaker can sell titles, and it still reads like an Ed Brubaker book, but the fact that Criminal can only sell 16,000, or, you know, actually, I guess it was selling maybe 12 to 14, and then it was, um, what was it? God damn it, Incognito was selling closer to 16 or 18, you know? And yet he's, you know, the fact that those guys are looking at drops in like, a quarter of their market, that's the thing that everyone needs to figure out how the fuck does Miller do it. And of course, I'm half convinced one of the ways Miller does it is John Romita Jr. is a big draw on his own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think Miller's always been super smart of like... Oh, Miller's always gone for the right artists. Yeah. He he will actively, aggressively court them more often than not. And so smartly keep the projects until the artists are ready. Yeah. I mean, how long has he been like, yeah, I'm working with Dave Gibbons and it was only announced last week? Mm-hmm. Or the Frank Quitely book? Yeah, he waits He waits until he's got the right artist. Yeah, yeah. And and there's enough in there that it can more or less get done. But yeah, so I I think... So, I mean, as much as I love... I mean, I I really do adore Sean Phillips' work. He He's not as big a name in the populace as John Romita Jr. is, you know? So... And I, you know, Michael Avenoming, I love the guy. I do. I really, I loved his work on Powers. But I suspect that if that had been drawn by, I don't know, fucking Frank Cho, I, even Frank Cho isn't. And I'm trying to think. No, who, like, but Cho would have raised the raised the orders. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you it, know, you if would it had been that. run by John Romita Jr. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. You would be looking at, at a number of those factors. So, I think that's going to be really that's part of the factor that I think Miller is super, super smart about. Also, I think for the most part, Miller, with the exception of Kick-Ass, like, he tackles his stuff in small, bite-sized fragments, as opposed to, like, okay, I'm doing a monthly series, and and you see, I th- feel like you you see more of that with Criminal having arcs and trades and collections. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, but... Anywho, dude, we're doing a... This is exactly what I thought would happen. <laughs> okay, everyone, listeners... We are definitely not going to get to the Savage Credit questions today. We'll do them next week, I promise. Uh, we're an hour and 20 minutes into recording. We have a hard stop, right? I'm uh, correct to say do. this. We do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm just yeah. going to push through the Twitter questions. Okay, I'm that is great. And we will done. be done in like okay. 30 or 40 minutes, yeah. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> you know we've only managed three of the questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Luckily, the other questions are relatively fast. Um, Christopher Beckett asks, mm-hmm. in Friday Night Lights, Joe McCoy was Lex Luthor to Coach Taylor Superman or some other comic book tandem? You have no idea what that means, do you? I don't know. Um, Christopher, I think you're probably right. I've been trying to think of other other analogs and I can't really come get one. Uh, I don't think it's Lex Luthor because for reasons that I don't think you're you've caught up with on the show yet because you're only midway through season three but maybe and Jeff doesn't get it so that's, yeah, as, that's as long as we're going to spend on that one Allison, I do have to say it did make me want to think that start writing start watching Friday Night Lights because of this uh, 
Alison Candy says the new X-Men status quo has gotten off to a good start enough to get either of you reading the X-Titles regularly I'm guessing no for Jeff unfortunately I would if it wasn't for if it really honest if, God, if it was if it's not it for them, yeah. going on. Um, yeah, yeah. I have to say and as I hinted at earlier on uh, I did read Wolverine X-Men issue 1 and I was staggered to love it as much as I did wow uh, wow. It is pretty much everything I've wanted for an X-Men book since Morrison's last title. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's... The, and people are... A lot of people... You're not alone in that. No, no. A lot of people, people are giving saying, it. Basically, if you want an optimistic, funny X-Men title mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that returns everything to the school setting. Oh, my God. Which I really do want so much. Uh, it's the Jean Grey Institute for Higher Learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, which is great. And also, it's actually most of my favorite X-Men characters. Because they've got a chart oh, at the really? back of who's teaching, and it is pretty <laughs> much all of my favorite characters, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, so I will, I'll definitely begin the second issue of that, um, and it may be enough to get me read regularly. I don't know. We'll see how the first arc finishes, because I thought Schism was kind of sh- terrible, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. And based upon uh, Kieran Gillen's X Men Regenesis one shot, I'm unlikely to be enjoying that as much. Um, in large part because I really, really dislike Cyclops right now. Right. Um, and like I said, my favorite characters are all in the other book, but I'll try it and we'll see. Um, but yeah, Wolverine X-Men is really good. And if at some point you can read it without uh, hating yourself for doing so, I think you can just... <laughs> You know what I mean? No, like yes. steal it, Jeff. Steal a copy. You'll you'll well, that's enjoy. It. I might, you'll I might, enjoy I might read it on the download. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, even worse. Andrew Foley says started out writing question almost instantly. It transformed into waffles, 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 waffles. <laughs> I agree, and God bless you for that question. I thought that was great. Christopher Beckett again says maybe repeats. But what are your thoughts on the extreme relaunch from Rob Liefeld? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. I don't think that we've actually discussed this. We haven't, because I haven't been, uh, New York Comic Con, which we were not recording during. That's right. And can I, can I mention very briefly that, because uh, uh, I mentioned it on Twitter, of course we weren't talking, I am totally sti- stoked about the Shonen Jump Alpha announcement. Oh, God, I am. I am be the biggest. Yeah, I am like, holy shit, that's massive. Yeah, that is that is a massive change. And I don't know if you noticed, but a few people were like, hey, 2000 AD, you should really follow on this. And if they did, I would be... I just want to I say that 2000 AD has been digital since 2008, and no one seems to know that. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no is one it... seems to know this. 2008 has wow. been available weekly digitally since 2008. Really? Yes. How much? Oh, God, I honestly couldn't tell you anymore. Um, okay. It's it's much more it's much more expensive than the Shonen Jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think the Shonen Jump... It's, it's, the, price it's the pricing is, is what's really massive for Shonen Jump. Um, yeah. I want to say... Well, Shonen Jump's insanely cheap. So, what, 90, right. 99 cents for a month? Yeah. yeah. 99 cents for a month or 52 issues for, for $25. $25. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to say to the nitty might be something like 125 an issue. I'm totally making that up, though. It might be more expensive. Um, but yeah, it's been available digitally for a really long time. Um, I should look into that. And yeah, shouldn't jump thing. It's really big, huge, huge. <laughs> really, so to jump really back to yeah, to jump back to yeah, the extreme relaunch. Um, I'm finding myself much more optimistic and hopeful about it than I thought I was. I wrote a, a thing for CBR this week about it, where I honestly started off wanting to make fun of it, and in the writing was like, actually, this is kind of awesome. There are people that I 
I really like Joe Keating is a great guy. I I dig him as a person. I really like the, the where he's going with his work. I I don't feel like he and I necessarily. It's funny. Like we like a lot of the same comics, but our influences play out totally different. The fact that Brandon Graham is writing Prophet, I actually read his little preview. Is like he had six pages of it on his on his website, and it, they read fantastically, even without him doing the art. No, but the art really well, good. Isn't it? Yeah, the art really. is amazing too. Yeah, I mean, I was like, this is like a really good, really enjoyable science fiction comic. Like I. I am down with this. Um, that being said, the news generally made me sad and frustrated because I feel that Rob Liefeld is the perennial scorpion from the scorpion. Well, that, that's the thing. I'm really looking forward to Prophet. I think I'm going to like Glory as well, the Ross Campbell Joe Keating book. Um, mm-hmm. I think the idea of bringing those books back with such a varied level of um, type of creator is mm-hmm. really interesting and a really good thing. Um, yeah. I think the idea that it's extreme that it's basically resurrecting a line that no one cares about is really interesting to me as well because it means that you're not beholden to just re- regurgitating old stuff. However, I don't expect it to last more than a year, just yeah. because a year at the outside because the, mm-hmm. the last Youngblood revival didn't last more than a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Liefeld, I feel not for sales. Like Liefeld mm-hmm. killed it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, the sales will be good. In fact, if the sales get good enough, at some point, Liefeld pays attention, and that's when everything yes, goes wrong. Yes, like what happened with Youngblood, where all of a sudden Liefeld threw Casey off the book mm-hmm. and was mm-hmm. like, I'm writing it from now on, and there was never another issue released. Exactly. And that, that, yeah, I'm the same with you. I, I think mm-hmm. the books are going to be great, as many as they appear. Uh, yeah. I don't expect it to last a really long time. Also, I'm fascinated yeah. by the fact that Brandy Graham's like, I'm doing six issues a year. Wow. She said in an interview, which makes me wonder, is there only going to be six issues a year or is someone else taking over? Right, right, right. Like, is there going to be some sort of revolving creative team? I really like the idea that it's going to be six issues a year and then it goes on vacation for a year, for half a year. I would love That would, I would be love interesting it. to me. But um, I for some reason something that's going to happen maybe it's bi-monthly I, I have no idea yeah bi-monthly would be interesting um, I, I just I, the only reason why I worry about it is I know that traditionally retailers are like six issues of a title and then it disappears for six months is as, as Hibbs would say not worth my time yeah. you know what I mean like I have to begin the process of reselling this to everybody all over again you know he's like it's just not worth it so I kind of actually hope that it's a rotating team and then the rotate the, the people doing the next six issues is like James Stucco doing the writing and somebody either the same artist doing the art or Yeah, get Myron on Churchland or someone on there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, that's kind of what I'm hoping. That's what my fingers are crossed about. Uh Simon Bachelor says Marvel, what's the hell what the hell's going on there then? I think we covered that. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, yes. said, I read Brubaker's covered movie news too quickly and thought it said David Spade. Made me sad. I, <laughs> that, was, that made me laugh so much when I read it. Um, but let's point out, it's being done with David Slade, the man behind, I believe, the last two Twilight movies. Mm. Yeah, no, just, exactly. Just think about that for a second. Um, yeah. Jesse asked in the email, this wasn't on Twitter, uh, he talked about creators getting really caught up with continuity and filling their 
Marvel and DC Comics with old continuity and old characters. Did you see this email? Yeah, I did. That was actually a great little email, in fact. I yeah. Uh, and he essentially um, asked why do creators end up getting tangled up in continuity minutia? Uh, is it, he said, is it just an ego-driven attempt to make their story important by tying it to every part of the universe? And I, my response would be, only if it's an ego-driven thing to try, your, try and get your book to sell. Mm-hmm. I, I think the current audience demands that everything quote unquote counts and that's why you get people being like I know it looked like I was telling one story but really it's the Serpent Crown and it ties into seven other Avengers books <laughs> like I, I honestly think it's like please treat me right right no I think that's it Which I, is what my personal feeling is yeah with Priest I always sorry we should back up the example that Jesse used was uh, Christopher Priest who was talking about his uh, you know picking up an old issue of Black Panther that he wrote and finds it almost unreadable because it was jammed full of events that meant nothing absent of context or continuity. And his musing on how this came to be reveals his desire at the time to increase Black Panther's standing in the events of the Marvel Universe. And I thought that this was, it was a good point. I always felt that um, I would have to read the entry to see which issue he's talking about, but I always felt that Christopher Priest, for example, Everyone tries very hard to tie your book into the universe to try and get it to sell or sell more. And if it's not the writer or the creative team doing it, editorial is like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, here's this Fear Itself event. Tie it into it. Believe me, it's going to help jump the sales, you know, for exactly that reason of quote unquote having it matter. I'm always fascinated by dudes like Peter David's X Factor has been selling now at a consistent basis, you know absolutely solid as far as I can tell to the extent I'm paying attention to it for years now and is not really being paid attention to is not but, really but here, here's the thing and this is uh-huh. good timing because the wonder of the Multnomah County Library has meant that I've started reading Peter Davis' X Factor in collection ah. and I haven't I haven't read it before. like I read the original run with like when I haven't read any stuff until now oh interesting mm-hmm. and do you know what I think it is I think it is Yes. X Factor is like the X Men forgotten X Men character home. Mm-hmm. So you get Shatterstar and Richter and all these like random or Monet from Generation X. It's it's mm-hmm. it becomes the book where all those characters go. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a one man attempt to make things matter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the the vast number of forgotten characters. Mm-hmm. who all have might small fan bases get brought into right. this book. Well, with by Peter David, who himself has a certain small fan base. Yeah, exactly. So it becomes, like, it survives purely because yeah. it's the book where you can read Shatterstar and Richter and mm-hmm. Monet and Havoc and Polaris and yeah. Madrox and Wolfsbane and all of these characters. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's very much like what they were trying to do with Chris Claremont. They just, they just it manages to work. Well, I think part of it is, I think it's because Peter David is a wanting to do it and b mm-hmm. um, smart enough to make it work. I guess. Whereas when Claremont tried to do that sort of thing, you always get the feeling that either character was standing in for the characters he really wanted to use, or that he didn't really care about the other characters. Oh, interesting. Interesting. To me, it's just the idea that that David is, while less 
sort of brilliant <laughs> than than Claremont can be. <laughs> also, more reliable in that regard. So I feel that people. Yeah, people David is, like I think, a, Peter a David more David cynical writer. For one better way of putting it, I think I think yeah, he's, he's much. I think he's much more aware of what sells and is much more willing to tailor his writing towards that. Yeah, I would say just. I would just say professional. Ultimately, commercial. to me, it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, except that. Except that I guess he's not. He's yeah. had his era of being commercial. Right. Well, and he still has enough to where, you know, the same way they want to tuck Chris Claremont into a book and hope that it would just quietly turn out, you know, a certain number amount of sales in its corner by itself. Um, you know, I think they can do that with Peter David because I think David, if you're a fan of Peter David's work, you get what you want from a Peter David book month in and month out. I'm not that kind of a fan. And then in addition, he does the other stuff. I feel for, I'm sure there are people for whom reading X Factor is like reading what, you know, it's like they get to read their Marvel comics from the 90s that they liked over, again, and I'm not in any way dissing that. You know? Well, no, exactly. It's it's X-Men forever, but in continuity. Exactly. It, in continuity is, and is, a little more reliable and less totally batshit. You know what I mean? Which kind of makes it a little bit less entertaining. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're ergo the more professional angle, I think. You know, not as brilliant. So, um, God, I keep feeling like there was something that I wanted to add onto that. But no, but yes. <laughs> but no, but yes. We're done with the Twitter questions, my friend. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, that actually gives us a little bit of leeway to uh, um, well, there are other there are other bits of business we have to do because we have yes. to wait for so long. <laughs> yes, for uh, sure. partially. Thank you, everyone who's written to us. Yes, uh, you are all lovely, lovely human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, especially everyone who gave us a hard time for taking a break. Uh, yeah, that was uh, quite lovely. <laughs> I, it kind of was. The shows were missed, Jeff. Yes, exactly. Oh, you really have just gone over to the dark side of humanity with this break, haven't you? What do you mean? What? I was. I meant that. <laughs> I, I was glad. I, I really. I felt the felt the weird. Did you think I was being sarcastic? Yes, no, I, I did. did. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Uh, we also uh, have to thank everyone who entered the contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, absolutely. there were some really. Honestly, fucking stunning. Uh, yes. Really, yeah, I mean, saw some truly amazing ones. Um, to the point where we chose two winners. Not one, yes. friends, but two. And for the two people who are about to hear their names, who are like, wait, which one of us gets the prize that you, you promised? It turns out I was sent two copies of this book by DC. And so you'll both get the book. Fabulous. There Do you want go. to mention again the name of the book? Yeah, the book, the book is Marzi, M-A-R-Z-I. Uh, it is a memoir from Vertigo that I think has come out, but maybe not. Um, it's by Marzena Soa. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really fun. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, winner number one is Dylan Cassard. Or Cassard? How would you pronounce it, Jeff? Uh, I would pronounce it wrong, knowing me. <laughs> well, so, Dylan, it's um, you anyway. Uh, yeah, and, Dylan Cassard, I would say. And Dylan is in San Francisco. So it's kind of a shame that I'm the one who has to mail his eyes, not you, because you could do it. You could even just hand deliver it. I, exactly. Uh, but there you go. Um, he suggested, oh God, I can't even read it out because it's so long, but part of what makes it wonderful is that it's so long. His, his short version was that North by Northwest was adapted by Marvel Comics in the 1950s mm-hmm. uh, by Stan Lee 
Jack Kirby did a character sketch and then passed it off to Don Heck, which in itself is just absolutely fucking amazing. And then, because it gets so much better, is revived by Steve Englehart, which, you know, anyone who's listened to the podcast, bonus points for mentioning Steve Englehart. In the winter of 1974, bonus points again, that's when I was born. Um, (laughs) Seriously, I'm I'm simple like that. Um, Englehart's following series, it says, penciled by Frank Bruner, chronicled the journeys of Roger Thornhill through the Marvel Universe as he was consistently mistaken for Kang the Conqueror, Modog, the Mindless Ones, and even at one point Spider-Man by Peter Parker himself. <laughs> Honest to God, who does not want to read this comic after this? Absolutely. It's just astounding. Yeah, yeah. I I love it. Yeah, Dil- Dylan's entry was just really... Great. I think I think we both agree, right? Agreed. Absolutely. It was fantastic. And I think what we'll do, hopefully, to, to maybe do it some more justice is see if we can get permission to run this and the other uh, winning entry uh, in the podcast on, on Savage Critic with the when we put up the podcast. Oh, it's true, because the other entry was also spectacular. Shall I also read this one out, or would you like to? Definitely. Uh, actually, because I'm having trouble have- finding it. <laughs> okay, it's from someone who's called R.J. Acero. Yeah, R.J. Acero. For R- some R- reason, I can't get the... Uh- R.J., for some reason, we don't know what your real name is. Come up with a... I'm going to say Rick Jones. I'm going to say <laughs> you are actually the person responsible for the creation of the Hulk. Um, they came up with multiple entries. Oh, he had the little Nemo. I couldn't find the name. Yeah, I'm like, where's the RJ? Where's the Rick? And so, it, yes, he's Rebecca yeah, by G. Will mm-hmm. Wilson and Fraser Irving. Because mm-hmm. I want to read that comic. I don't even care if it's Rebecca. I just want to read the G. Will Wilson and Fraser Irving comic. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Rear Wind by Greg Rock and J.H. Williams. I will read this because I found the email. Okay. So yeah, let, so Rebecca, written by G. Will Wilson, art by Fraser Wilson Irving quoting here, I have to admit the idea of Irving illustrating Manderley burning to the ground has me pining for this to happen. As an ongoing, I see this as a series of the travels of Mrs. Danvers, whom in our story survives the fire, as she joins various households as a maid, leaving broken marriages in her wake. (laughs) Thinking of her as a dour, older, feminine version of Tom Ripley. I am so sold on this comic, I cannot even tell you. (laughs) Next title he suggested, uh, he or she suggested, because I'm like, RJ, like, what if it's not? Oh my god, did you ever read Androgynous Internet. Did What's you ever read uh, Peter David's Star Trek? No. With R.J. Blaze, the Captain Kirk's love interest. No. And R.J. turned out to stand for Raspberry Jam. I should. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. What are you trying to hide here, R.J. Acero? You've got <laughs> wheels within wheels. Uh, Rear Window, written by Greg Rucka, art by J.H. Williams III. The continued adventures of Mr. and now Mrs. Jeffries. They travel the globe as Jeff is on assignment, holing up in hotels and exotic hotels, uh, locales. Jeff constantly in a different cast, and Lisa in the latest fashions. I would love to see the formalistic flourishes that Wilson could come up with for the inevitable spying on the neighbor scenes. Rucka seems capable of providing detailed assessments of Jeff's assignments and certainly has the chops to interject some interesting plot twists. And most importantly, he would write a strong Lisa Jeffries. Again, adore this idea. This is even better than... Because I, when I had suggested it to you, you know, we came up with this contest, in my heart, I was like, afterwards, I was like, God, I would love to see Rear Window written by Stanley and drawn by John Romita Sr. And this is like maybe the only version... It would trump that for me, you know. 
Uh, the Wrong Man, written and illustrated by Steve Ditko. Henry Fonda as Job by way of Ditko practically writes itself. As an aside, this may be the saddest sad sack film ever. Don't get me wrong. There's great craft on display, obviously, but the plot gets darker and darker. The epilogue could not pull this one out of a nosedive. I have to admit, I've never seen The Wrong Man. I'm dying to see it now. You're like, I like depressing films. I like Hitchcock. Come on. Perfect. It is perfect for me. Vertigo, drawn by Sam Keith, written by Dave Sim. I love this. Two comic titans with diametrically opposed views on women working on an adaptation of a film that has some severe issues with how it portrays women. This could be complete genius or a murder-slash-suicide. And that's why it would be the book everyone would be reading. Yes, absolutely. North by Northwest, written by Grant Morrison, art by Frank Quitely, I, which I love. I'm not quite sure why, but this makes sense to me. Think of All-Star Superman number three, where Lois is gifted Superman's powers. There's something about the dynamics of Clark and Lois's relationship that resonates with how I see Roger Thornhill and Eve Kendall, and I want to see quietly draw people on top of different monuments every month. That's that's what sold me that line. Yeah, you just that knows that that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Birds by Warren Ellis and Jill Thompson, and Psycho, written and drawn by Ba and Moon. And I, I like how he does all that, and then he's like, "Well, that or she? That's all I have for now." Yeah, exactly. That's not enough. I mean, really. Holy crap. So, yes, um, you, RJ Sarno, also win. Yes. Uh, So, uh, we will be emailing you to get uh, mailing addresses uh, so that we can, Graham can get those books out to you. We got, it was interesting because we really didn't get a lot of entries initially. And I was like, oh, okay, this was not a hit, or even worse, people have stopped listening to us. And and then all of a sudden, we got a lot. Yeah, it was yeah, like a week later. Were... Everyone was like, "Wait, I actually do have something for this after all." And it was kind of yes, kind of right. And all of them were good. Yeah, you know, like no one went for the cheap. I can't even think of a cheap pun. Like you know, I, I like I won Vertigo with you know Mike DiCarlo. Oh, right. Do you know, like. <laughs> See, I'm just starting to think it's impossible to lose this contest. We should give a sort of special heads up to. Are you going to do Lauren's? Um, yeah, Lauren Davis. I'm actually looking for her email now. I should also mention Sean Witzke did not officially enter, but spent half an evening like throwing ideas back and forth with me uh, on Twitter oh, really? at the very beginning of this. Yeah, really good. I wish I'd saved them, but because that was right after we first broadcast. Yeah, so that, that was like two weeks ago. It would be, it'd be really hard for me. Um, Lauren Davis says, I don't need to win, but I just want to chime in with this. Robert Kirkman launches Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds as The Walking Dead, but with birds. <laughs> <laughs> but the most acclaimed run is by Carol Carroll, who reveals the birds have extremely rich inner life. <laughs> oh my god, I love that so much. Yeah, that was that was absolutely great. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who entered. I think because we are pressed for time, we will not do a contest maybe this episode, but next episode when we tackle everyone's Savage Critic questions, we'll do that. Can I just say I feel really bad that we asked people at Savage Critic finally for questions and then we didn't get around to answering okay. them well, let's after see. they maybe had like can... 22 questions? I know. it's Okay, let's see how many we can get through really quickly. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick the fast ones because a lot of them okay. are not. Yes, okay. Eric Group says Waffles great or the greatest? The greatest. Trial, uh, Daniel says The Trial of the Flash Showcase was a big hit with you guys. What other Longburn storyline would you like to see collected as a showcase or Marvel Essential? 
man, I wish I had a, a, a an instant answer. For me, it would be the Steve Englehart's Kang storyline, which has sort of in a couple of different places, and I think even has the sort of Celestial Madonna as one trade paperback. But as I recall, is actually a much larger... I would love to see that and the, the concurrent Captain America Ser- Serpent Crown stuff. Yeah, I, I want to say that the Englehart stuff is across two different essential Avengers books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, and I would love to see it, like, so yeah, I would recommend it as that, and I would love to see it sort of, like, concisely put out as, like, a phone book of its own. I'd love to see uh, some Wolfman and Perez Teen Titans as as a cheap showcase. Yeah, Wolfman, yeah, that would be great as a cheap showcase. I would also like to see the Englehart Stanton Green Lantern stuff, which you said they're beginning. To yes, they, they put out one trade of that, but then the yeah. tank, so you probably aren't going to see another one. Yeah, I, it, it's a shame because seeing that stuff as showcase stuff would be great. Um, the Suicide Squad by Ostrander and McConnell, which was promised as a showcase forever and kept getting cancelled because of royalty issues. But, but there are two trades out of that now. Are there? Yep. In color? Yep. Or um, color. Uh, let's see. But they're they're pricey. I want to say they're like right, maybe right. twenty dollars each, something like that. Yeah, because wow, see, yeah. Whereas uh, like again, part of the appeal is again collected across multiple trades, but I'd really like to get in one collection. Um person's animal man. Yeah, that would be great. You could even you could even lop off the first four issues as far as I'm concerned, just start with the Coyote Gospel and run all the way to the end of his run. I think that'd be a great book. Yeah, yeah, I could see that would actually work really well. Although part of me is like, Ugh. you know, I, there's stuff that I adore in those first four issues, even though everyone agrees that issue five, the Coyote Gospel, is like the one. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, let's, let's see. I'm trying to scoot through other ones. Um, Colin asks, why isn't Silver Surfer Parable universally considered Stanley's best work? Um, right. Because I don't think it is genuinely. <laughs> Right, uh, right. I think he's done better work, and also it's not something that many people have read for a lot of reasons. Yeah, it's it's one of those really weird things where I have a like. Parable came out at a point where I honestly felt like the scales were sort of falling from my eyes about Stanley, maybe too much so. In that, I find his I find his Silver Surfer kind of a crashing bore. Yeah, so, I think that's that's also another reason. I, I think mm-hmm. the Silver Surfer actually brings out a lot of the worst in Stanley. Ag- agreed. agreed. Um, and I think Parable really reinforces that. Why hasn't yeah. Wolfies ever made it big in America? That's a really good question. I'm, te- is- I'm tempted to say it's because his art is too feminine. Oh, interesting. I think, yeah, I his- think all the artists who really make it big in American comics are having much, much more masculine arts. Um, that is a good or, point. Or Although I think pretty, it's perhaps. I think it's changed a lot. I really think that dudes like between Quietly and Darrow and you know a lot of people who have a real Mobius influence. I think his stuff could be big now. Yeah, um, it could be the, big now. Do you know what I mean? Like it would never yes. be John Byrne big back in the eighties. I, I feel, well, yeah. or, or even Rob Liefeld big. Right. Well, oh, I don't know. I, okay, the, Quietly the, isn't that big. Do you know what I mean? Like Quietly is big. Sure. To a certain yeah, yeah, audience yeah. now, he's big on the internet. Yeah, he's well. All Star Superman was selling like uh, over a hundred thousand issues. You know, uh, copies and issues. Yeah, but I but think I that agree. was Morrison. I think. Well, I think it was the two of them. Uh, I don't. Yeah, probably. You know, because I, I and I think there is something to be said for that, but. Um, 
I well, I know honestly. My understanding, Colin, is is that back in the mid nineties, um, somebody bought up all the rights to Mobius's work, and the idea was that they were going to have to publish in America. They were going to have it come out in these various Mobius-related arcades. Like when the Metreon first opened, there was an airtight garage which sold Mobius books and had like you know holographic 3D bowling right next to it. Oh my! And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. So uh, my my personal, I think part of the reason why Mobius then, as far as I know, it tanked, and then the rights have been turned up in, like, locked up in various problems forever. Dehumanize dehumanize not the right snack to the majority of it? I don't think so, because they don't seem to be pushing it at all. You know what I mean? Like, even the Inkall stuff that they were doing was very much kind of, uh, they seem to have it thanks to their ties to Jordorowski. The other thing is, I think the reason Mobius has never made it big in America is he's never done some stories that sales to American audiences. Hmm. As much as we all talk about, you know, like comics and our art, artists-led medium, which is true to a degree, I think if mm-hmm. the, I think if you don't have a story that people are vaguely interested in, I don't think it's going to sell. I don't think Mobius has really done a story that fit ever fit with mainstream comic tastes in America. That's interesting. I think that's. I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the flip side of that is, with the exception of when you were. You know, unless you were buying heavy metal during the '80s, Mobius has never come out at sort of a newbie-friendly price point. That's what I think is a big deal. Is is like if you've never seen Mobius before, you're not going to pay forty dollars or eighty dollars. I think for trade, you know, and I think that's at least again back in the '90s when the Airtight Garage stuff was being published, and I think maybe I almost want to say Dark Horse was publishing stuff before that. You had these gorgeous-looking expensive hardcovers which looked amazing but you're just not you know there weren't enough there's not enough browser books there like I sort of feel like the internet is changing things now Mm -hmm. but I do feel that that is part of the reason is is apart from the 80s when he seemed way way ahead of it of uh, what Americans were doing to the point where it took a generation for that to really sink in and take hold with people I think you could sell Mobius stuff now if you were doing relatively inexpensive trade paperbacks that could introduce people to the work. And so the short version is lots of reasons. Yeah. Exactly. Sadly, exactly. but yeah. Um, George yeah. asks, discuss your thoughts on the work of Rick Remender. If you're not reading it or enjoying his work, then why not? This is a really easy one for me because I haven't read anything of his in any length since like the End League. Right. Uh, and for the most part, it's because I don't really particularly like the characters he's working on at Marvel. I, I feel no interest in it. That said, again, talking about the library, I have the first collection of Uncanny X-Force waiting for me because many people have said it's absolutely spectacular. And yes. also, um, I read an interview with him about Secret Avengers and he talked about Uncanny X-Force in such a science fictiony way that I got curious, yeah. I guess. Like, mm-hmm. as opposed to... I wasn't interested as an X-Men book, but I might be interested as a science fiction book. So, uh, short version, ask me that again in, like, a couple of weeks. Right. I will try for the slightly, hopefully not too much longer version of of Graham's answer, which is, I've been reading Uncanny X-Force since the beginning and love it. I picked it up mainly because the art was stunning. 
as it went on, I picked up an appreciation for Remender, which has changed. Like, I remember when he started off on The Punisher, I was a little like, he's okay. And then the actually the issue right leading into Frankencastle, I thought was, was really good in a Frank Miller pastiche kind of way. The Frankencastle stuff seemed batshit crazy, and I meant to pick it up and didn't, and would love to go back and get it now. But I'll be honest, one of Remender's first books that was published by Larry Young, I bought, and I thought it was terrible. I, and I can't, it's weird. I should, you know, I don't think he's had a lot of, um, at the time, I don't think he had a lot of uh, writing credits under his belt. But rather than chalk it up to beginner's luck I, I or misfire, I kind of went, this guy's not for me. And especially there was some other stuff where I was like, yeah, this guy is really not for me. But, and Fear Agent, which a lot of people seem to love, I thought was markedly meh. So for a long time, Remender struck me as at best unremarkable. I've been digging his X-Force stuff, and yet maybe because Hibbs's store is a little more DC-centric, there aren't a lot of extra copies of um, Venom hanging around. Otherwise, I might pick it up, honestly. So I've been meaning to look into it. I love what he's doing on X-Force. He's growing into a Marvel writer that I really want to read in that he seems to do a great job of mixing sort of continuity heavy stuff with ideas and with characterization with some really good artists. But um, but yeah, ask me again later. Um, Chris Hero, again, I'm skipping forward. Everyone who I'm skipping, we will go back to you next time. Uh, can you guys say only positive things about Alan Moore? I'm betting not. That, for me, wins passive-aggressive. <laughs> um, especially because he then immediately follows it with, for one episode. Like, this is five minutes later, so it's not like he hit something by mistake. He comes back for yeah. one episode. Just talk about the positive things Moore has done or positive influences. I think it would be an interesting challenge, and you guys are smart, too. Thanks. So I know it's possible. Um, then you could spend I the could next totally time. do it. I could then you could spend the next 20 bashing him, which I thought was really funny. Um, I, re- I actually really like to do this. Uh, obviously, like it would be kind of taking the best to do it now because we're stopping in about five minutes. But yeah, I I can I can say lots of negative things about Alan Moore, but I can definitely I can say positive things about him. So right. maybe next time. Yeah, actually, it'd be interesting, Chris. For what it's worth, I it, I don't think I actually would had said many negative things. No, I think I think I had. I things. think it just overwhelmed every positive thing you've said. <laughs> it's true. Well, no, I mean, I definitely have said some, but I hadn't really before this podcast. In the course of talking with this, talking with Graham, I think he made some good points. I think Moore has made some missteps. And I've come across some things that have frustrated me. But I would say, like, if you bumped into me on the street two years ago, you would have gotten it and then some in terms of I don't think I had much. Neg- the things that I thought that were negative about Moore's work were absolutely negligible. I think we should I think we should have this conversation in the future. And lots yeah. of people are asking us to talk about Chris Claremont. Which we've said yeah, I should again. sit down. We, we, we really should do it. Uh, yeah, because absolutely. after people said that yesterday, I spent a lot of time last night just thinking about Claremont and his influence. So at some point when we have more time, we really will. Um, Dan Coyle again with the passive aggressive questioning. I wanted to suggest something, but I found myself writing why, 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 why over and over again. <laughs> What I love about that is Dan Coyle could be saying that about the comics industry or could be saying that about our podcast. I, just from his Facebook comments to me alone, I think he's probably saying it about the podcast. Yeah. Oh, really? Does he leave Facebook comments? Oh, yeah. oh God, yes. Like, They're spectacular. Oh, um, 
Let's see. My comic life isn't really asking us a question. Um, Mick Plasser, why is Ed Brubaker's criminal consistently excellent and superior comics utterly mediocre? Is his X-Men run any good? No. Uh, I'd say, actually, I'd say his X-Men run is actually the worst superior comics he's done. And I think he's done a lot of good superior comics. I think Captain America is good. I think Catwoman's amazing. Yeah, and and I thought I thought at least half of Daredevil was great before it kind of got I think tedious for lack of a better term. Um, I actually remember picking up X Men Deadly Genesis and expecting it to be terrible, and I thought it was really good X Men comics. And then he followed it up with what I thought was an, uh, a really bad uh, X Men run. Yeah, I, th- I think Uncanny X Men was really really bad. Um, Deadly Genesis is okay, I guess. I, I wasn't madly... It worked for me, yeah. Uh, I would say that the reason why Criminal is consistently excellent is because he can do whatever he wants with the characters and does. And also Whereas, because he doesn't have to consistently write about the same characters. Like, he can, he can change things and then leave yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a huge thing. I think that if we had started where... Even Tracy Lawless, who's one of my favorite characters in Criminal, if we'd had nothing but you know, six trades of just that character, I think we would all be a little bit burnt. So his ability to change things up and make it more about things that he wants, a thematic series, I think is tremendously to his benefit and to our benefit. We are speeding through these questions. I know, I know. We're just... Yeah. Stephen Williamson, who also asked a question on Twitter. Cheeky. Um, <laughs> what announced a rumor 2012 project are you most looking forward to at this point? I don't, that's a really I, good question. That I don't is, know. I don't. Uh, yeah, because I don't. I try not to follow the news much. I've started doing it more because of um, pretty much for this podcast. But before I before we really geared up, I made it a point to stop looking at news because I thought it was a great way to be surprised. Um, for me, dude, again, Shonen Jump Alpha is huge for me. Um, I know I'm, that's not really what you're asking, but I I honestly can't think of an answer to that. I'm just going to cut to that. Oh, also, um, if we ever see Multiversity, or is that what is that what the Morrison's yeah. quasi Watchmen? Yeah, I yeah, I don't, I don't think. Oh, the new Watchmen series that uh, Rich Johnson swears is happening. I'm oh, yeah. curious as fuck about that. Yeah, I, I, especially I have to say, Darwin I'm, Cook's doing it. As I'm dreading that. I'm dreading that in such a huge way. I, I am simultaneously dreading and really anticipating it. Right, because it might be amazing. Like it was anyone other than Darwin Cook, I'd be like, "This is the worst idea ever." The fact that it's rumored to be Darwin Cook, I honestly can't believe he's going to turn out something that's going to be worthless. Oh no, absolutely! In fact, I I would even go on to say that if he if Darwin Cook ends up riding and drying like a night owl. Rorschach one-shot set back in the days that they're always talking about in Watchmen, it will be readable, interesting, and utterly beautiful looking. Um, but and honestly, also utterly unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, by that stage, you just... I don't... I'm actually more excited by Morrison's idea of taking analogs of the characters. Like, at that point, something there's something that is true to me, almost truer to, to the spirit of Watchmen to create analogs of analogs. Yeah, oh, especially especially as his analogs are the original Carlton characters. Like, there's something about that that I really like. Yeah, exactly. So, um, question number two. As a postscript to fear itself, what do Graham McMillan and Jeff Lester fear the most? <sighs> he told me not to say snow zombies, because she's like... <laughs> 
People won't get all, it or all, believe you. All manner of things. I am afraid of everything. Yeah, <laughs> Sad but true. I really yeah, I like yeah. my fears could fill another two hours of podcast. <laughs> um, either of you read 100 Bullets, and if so, what were your thoughts? I've not read much because I didn't particularly like it because it's not particularly my genre. As somebody who it is closer to the genre, I read, I want to say, the first 25 issues of it. And as much as I adored the Rizzo art, I got so frustrated with Azarello and the idea that I, I just, I didn't, I, I ended up have, losing some essential piece of faith in Azarello as a writer that I've never quite regained, that nobody else seems to have a problem with. But at a certain point, I became aware that A, I didn't think that he knew where it was going. B, I thought his dialogue was overly cutesy uh, and not as smart, clever as I th- as he seemed to think it was uh, and ultimately as much as I adored Rizzo's work I almost felt like Rizzo was doing the same thing issue after issue after issue uh, that ultimately it just felt like vamping it kind of felt like hearing a brilliant pop song that you realize like by the time you dashed out and bought right said Fred's whole album was really only just worth the song. You know what I mean? So that was it for me. But so many people I know love it and adore it. I've fancied the idea of sitting down with the trades and reading through it and seeing if there's enough there there to really justify my feelings or not. Ta-da! Now you have I'm too sexy for my shirt in my head. Um, <laughs> we're at two hours. We, we should stop recording. We yeah, we should hours. stop. Yeah, yeah, L- yeah. Listeners, hi. Um, we're back. We're really sorry that we didn't answer half of the questions that we were supposed to. Uh, and that like, we completely got derailed. But that's why you listen to us. Because we yes. always get derailed. <laughs> <laughs> at least this time we got derailed about comic stuff. And not about something that none of you care about. Uh, well, yeah, depending on how they feel about some aspects of my pinko affiliations. But on the other hand, dude, seriously, everything you wanted to know about season one of Luther, we pretty much squeezed it. <laughs> oh, I never got to do my Matt Fraction thing. Okay, I will sum it up in this one sentence. I realize Matt Fraction is Dave Eggers. Wow. Okay, and with that bombshell... <sighs> Yes, exactly. Okay, we're gonna we're, you we when we talk next week, you will start <laughs> with that sentence and go from there. So be is that your cliffhanger? That is our cliffhanger. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, bye everyone. See you everybody. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>